بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين ومن تبعهم بإحسان ودعا بدعوتهم وسن بسنتهم واقتدى بهديهم إلى يوم الدين وبعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في محكم تنزيله بعد أن أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون واعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا ولا تفرقوا واذكروا نعمة الله عليكم إذ كنتم أعداء فألف بين قلوبكم فأصبحتم بنعمته إخوانا وكنتم على شفا حفرة من النار فأنقذكم منها كذلك يبين الله لكم آياته لعلكم تهتدون وقال النبي صلى الله تبارك وتعالى عليه وسلم إذا التقى المسلمان بسيفيهما فالقاتل والمقتول في النار وكما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام صدق الله مولانا العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك من الشاهدين وشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين My dear respected brothers, respected elders, dear students and sisters in Islam Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Indeed, this is a very pertinent topic and very important for us to gain basira and wisdom from the Qur'an and the Sunnah and our history, both the beautiful, glorious parts and the tragic past as well, in order for us to be able to learn how we should deal with the present crises throughout the world. And This is not such a topic which is perhaps very relaxing or enjoyable or something which we can consider any form of entertainment, but it is a very sobering reality of our existence. To put things in proper context right from the get-go, even the author's book, one of the books I was looking through, preparing, Dr. Saeed Ramadan al-Bouti, this is the book of Fiqh al-Sirah, that he has written about the jurisprudence of the prophetic biography. Not only the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu but the fiqh seerah, the, the lessons we can learn from the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu So when you are teaching a book of an author, then you begin to develop a relationship with the author. And you begin to feel as if you are transmitting his words to the students, and I had the honor of teaching this book last year within our syllabus, or the year before as well. Then kept on revising, and we have a different book in Sirah in the academy here. So at the end, he has appeared on the Khulafa Rashidun, which was one of the sources I was using for preparing for this lecture tonight. So he was a contemporary scholar in the recent past, just a few months ago, when he was sitting, actually this video is available on the YouTube as well, with the desk in front of him in the masjid, sitting on a chair, with the desk in front of him in the masjid in Dimash. When someone comes, may Allah protect us, that's what I'm saying, in a masjid, just like you're sitting in a masjid. And actually he has a table in front of him and he has a book. There's respected Shaykh, great faqih and scholar, 
son of a great sheikh, his father was a mufti of Sham, of the Imam, uh, the mufti of the Shafi'iyah in, in Syria. Somebody comes and places uh, something in front of him and moves back, and before you know it, in the middle of his dars, he is blown apart. He dies from suicide attack. Or actually, the, the attacker moves back, so it would not be a suicide attack. He dies from a bomb placed in front of him in his dars. And those who are near him also, of course, are affected. There are those who were uh, report that they were very surprised by his support of the, of the regime. But then towards the end, uh, he was asked to actually sign a fatwa that would say that all of the youth in Syria are drafted, must be drafted. It is an obligation followed on them to support the regime against uh, those who are fighting for justice or Allah knows best words, who's fighting for what purpose. But to sign this fatwa, and he refused that shortly afterward, then he died in a suicide attack. He's the author of this book that in front of me. So this is something that is happening. This killing and bloodshed that is taking place in the Muslim Ummah, no one is being spared. Great, great scholars to laymen, to those who have no idea what is going on, to those who are the, behind the conspiracies. The blood is flowing of one and all in, in these days. So we have a lot to cover from the history of the first civil war all the way to the present crisis. And what are some lessons we can learn in the process? Number one, if you begin with what was the condition of the Arabs prior to the Ba'atha of Rasulullah prior to his being selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the revelation and the advent of his prophethood. Pre-Islamic Arabs, what is their condition? In short, we do not have to spend much time on this era. Everyone here knows that the name of that era itself was the era of Jahiliyyah, Asr al-Jahiliyyah. And killing and murder and robbery and hijacking, this was the norm behavior. The Arab tribes in the Arabian Peninsula, they would be fighting over the resources, the most Valuable resource, of course, at that time was water, which is a source of life. Allah is the one who is created from water, every source, everything that is living. And one small incident would lead to generations of conflict between tribes. If sometimes we talk about this, we give these examples of they would be fighting over water, we have to remember that that was the most precious commodity. Few and far between were those wells and those oases, and they would be jealously guarded by different tribes. They would claim them as their own. If the camel of another tribe came and took water from some well which had been claimed by another tribe, they would kill that camel. The owner of the camel would come and kill the one who had killed this camel, and then they would kill the one who had, in return, blood for blood, and then the feuds would continue on for generations. This was their condition before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala united them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created such love and brotherhood amongst them, which is unparalleled. 
بالکل قریب آگے not only that you reconcile with one another but allafa created ulfa muhabbat in love between your hearts fa asbahtum bi ni'matihi ikhwana then you became through his favor upon you brothers not kal ikhwan like brothers but brothers you became more than real brothers you had such love which is unparalleled in the history of mankind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكُنْتُمْ عَلَىٰ شَفَا حُفْرَةٍ مِّنَ النَّارِ You are on the edge of the pit of the fire of Jahannam, ready to fall into it. فَأَنْخَذَكُمْ مِّنْهَا Allah is the one who saved you from that dangerous position. So those who are ready to kill one another for water, they were now ready to die and prefer others for and give others that water when they were in need. As is in the well-recorded incident, of the battle of Yarmouk when a sahabi radiyallahu anhu is wounded and dying and his cousin brings water for him and he's so thirsty at the moment when he is when he is losing blood and he is de- being dehydrated he doesn't he only need water he needs blood transfusion perhaps his blood is leaving his his uh, he is losing so much blood from all his wounds he is near death and his cousin brings water to him he takes that water bottle and he puts it to his lips You can imagine, literally he perhaps can feel the moisture on his lips, the coldness. And he just has to tilt it and the water will now enter into his mouth and go down his throat and he will feel so good. It is one of the greatest moments when a person is in extreme thirst and their thirst is quenched. This is such, we never really had that level of thirst that we do not know. The reason I'm saying this is one of the greatest moments and greatest feelings is that when, like, when Ali radiallahu anhu, on one uh, example, he was trying to give of how much we love Rasulullah sallallahu He said, we love Rasulullah sallallahu more than the thirstiest person in the extreme dire thirst if he is given cool water to drink and how happy he would be to receive that water. We love Rasulullah sallallahu more than that. He gave that as an example. But then he hears someone else crying out for water. And he tells the brother, his cousin, go give him first. When he goes to the second person, he's about to drink. The same story repeats. He heard, hears the third person calling for water. And he says, go give it to him. When he goes to the third person, he takes the water. He's about to drink and he, his soul departs from his body. He dies. Then he runs back to the second one. He finds that he has, his soul has departed. He has become shaheed. He returns back to his cousin, running, running. And he sees his cousin has also become shaheed. So they're ready to give their lives for one another. 
So Rasulullah created such a group of his companions the Sahaba who are now ready to die for one another. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributes this love to himself. Allah ta'ala says, Allah is the one who created love and ulfa and muhabba between the companions. لو أنفقت ما في الأرض جميعا ما ألفت بين قلوبهم ولكن الله ألف بينهم. Allah says in the Quran that on Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the way the worldly leaders they purchase loyalty is by giving gifts and grants so that okay don't rebel against me take this money. So this is how the worldly leaders do. The different tribes that are there, the leaders of the tribes. You pacify them by giving them money so that they do not bring the tribes revolt against you. Different examples are coming to mind, but I don't want to mention things from our current happenings around the world. Everyone knows. So Allah Ta'ala says here, O Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, if you would like to spend uh, all the money in the world you would spend it to purchase their loyalty of the people of these Arab tribes you would not have been able to do so it was Allah Allah is the one who created love in their hearts so they did not have any divisions anymore this whole ego was killed which is the motivating factor which causes the divisions in the first place this kibber and arrogance was eradicated from the hearts and Nabi ﷺ did not merely you know, talk the talk of equality, he walked the walk as well. He proved it through his actions. So there was pre-Islamic, there was a social hierarchy. That the Quraysh, even within the Quraysh, the Banu Hashim, the Banu Umayyah, as we will see, these were at the top, Butu and top sub-clans of the Quraysh. Then the rest of the Quraysh were the descendants of Harab ibn Malik. Then the rest of the Arab tribes in a particular order. Then... The non-Arabs, they considered them lower, the Ajam, they were mute, they could not speak, whatever language they have did not even exist in their view. So that's why they called them Ajam. Ajam means those who can't speak. And then, of course, at the bottom were slaves. So imagine at the bottom, an Ab, not only an Arab slave, but an Ajam slave, not only an Ajam slave, an African slave. Bilal Habshi radiallahu ta'ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi at the most glorious moment of his entire seerah, at the time of the Fath of Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, he tells Bilal radiallahu anhu to what? Climb the Kaaba. And on top of the Kaaba, call out the Adhan. The Adhan being the most greatest position, the one who is inviting towards Allah, the one who is granted the loftiest position on the Day of Judgment. To such an extent, when this scene was enacted by Rasulullah three of the mushrikeen who just accepted, Abu Sufyan amongst them who just accepted Islam radiallahu anhu, they were commenting to one another. One of them said that I'm lucky, I'm so happy that my father, he died before this day, that a black person has now climbed the Kaaba, is calling Adhan. I'm narrating his words. And the second one, he said that could not Muhammad find anyone besides this black crow? And Abu Sufyan said that I would, like, I would rather say something too, I would like to say something, but I know that Allah will reveal it to Rasulullah and then we will get in trouble, he will get caught. So I would rather not say anything. Sure enough, Rasulullah Wasallam called the three of them and said, is this not what you said? 
And then Rasulullah said, Allah has revealed this ayah. Ya ayuhal nas, inna khalaqnakum min dhakri wa untha wa ja'allakum shu'uba wa qaba'ila li ta'arafu. Inna akramakum indallahi atqaakum indallaha aliman khabir. This ayah from Surah Al-Hujarat. That, O oh mankind, I have created you from male and female. And I have made you from different tribes and different nations. Shu'ub wa qaba'il. Qaba'il are the division from the Arabs. And shu'ub are the families of the non-Arabs. Those that have a tribal system, they're qaba'il. Those that are non-tribal societies, shu'ub, different families. لِتَعَارَفُوا So you can recognize one another. Not so that you can consider one group better than the other group. Verily, the most noble amongst you in the sight of your Lord is the one who has more taqwa. Allah is fully aware of all that you do. So this is how Rasulullah created the unity and he destroyed all the foundations of divisions within the society. And Rasulullah he completed his mission and he asked the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in the Fath uh, in the Hajjat al-Wada' have I not fulfilled my, the message that I had been entrusted by Allah have I not conveyed it to you and the entire gathering they said Ya Rasulullah addayta al-amana wa nasahta al-ummah ballaghta al-risala wa addayta al-amana wa nasahta al-ummah wa kashafta al-ummah O Nabi Sallallahu you have fulfilled the message that you had been entrusted you have fulfilled the trust that you have been given by Allah you have done your duty then Rasulullah Sallallahu he pointed to the sky and said Allahumma ashhad O Allah you be witness that I have done my job Shortly after that, he returned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then comes the era of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhu ajma'in. In the, in the era of Sahaba, radiallahu anhu ajma'in, first of all, before we even enter, let us define who is a Sahabi. There's so many detailed discussions, but at the end of it, the gist, Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani, rahimullah, he gives an al-isaba fi ma'rifat al-sahaba, which is an encyclopedia of the Sahaba from alif to ya. Like we have A to Z, from Alif to Ya is encyclopedia of the Sahaba, all the biographical information of the companions of Rasulullah in the beginning. He gives the proper definition of who is a Sahabi of Rasulullah. He says that the one who met Rasulullah in a condition of Iman. Then he passed away on Islam. So the one who met Rasulullah with Iman and then he passed away on Islam. This is a Sahabi Rasulullah So the one who met Rasulullah on Kufr and he had brought, accepted Islam later on is not a Sahabi. The one who met Rasulullah he, he stayed in the company of the Prophet but he might have accepted Islam later on is not a Sahabi. The one who met Rasulullah but very briefly and had Iman and he died on Iman will be a Sahabi of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The one who met Rasulullah Sallallahu had Iman but unfortunately there are few examples that they died without Iman. They became murtad. They forsake the deen of Islam. Of course they're not Sahabi. They're kafir of the worst nature. The one who met Rasulullah Sallallahu on Iman he might have become murtad but he died on Islam. He regained, he brought his faith back as happened in some scenarios which we will see during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr. Will that be a Sahabi? Again, he will be a Sahabi. Because he met Rasulullah with Iman and then he died on Iman. There's not a condition that he never became murtad in between. Etc, etc. But this is the definition of Sahaba, of a Sahabi. What are the virtues of Sahaba? Radiallahu anhum. 
First of all, the virtues of Sahaba are described by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. So many ayats, ayats upon ayats. Few ayats, for example. Allah Ta'ala says, ansar." The early predecessors from amongst them, those who migrated for the sake of Allah and those who are the supporters of Medina. The muhajir of Makkah and the ansar of Medina. Allah is pleased with them, they are pleased with Allah. Allah has prepared for them uh, gardens underneath which rivers flow. They will remain therein forever. Likewise, Allah Ta'ala says, in Surah Al-Hadid, that لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا Those who spent in the path of Allah and fought in the path of Allah before the conquest of Makkah and those who came after the conquest of Makkah, they can never be equal in the sight of your Lord. Those who struggled in the early days when it was difficult, they are far higher in the status of your Lord. But both groups of the Sahaba, those who are the early ones, those who are the later ones, both Allah has promised Jannah. Al-Husna here is refers to Jannah. There's a consensus of the scholars of Tafsir. Al-Husna refers to Al-Jannah. And Rasulullah sallallahu what did he say? لا تصبوا أصحابي Do not say anything bad about my companions. فلو أن أحدكم أنفق مثل أحد ذهبا If any one of you will spend the mountain of أحد worth of gold ما بلغ مد أحدهم ولا نصيبه ولا نصيفه متفق عليه You will not reach the reward of any one of my companions spending a few kilograms in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of wheat. Rasulullah said, خير أمتي قرني The best of the nations of the people to come to the Day of Judgment are those in my time, the Sahaba. ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ Then those who come after them, the Tabi'een, those who come after them, the Tabi'u Tabi'een. Rasulullah said, لَا تَمُسُّ النَّارُ مُسْلِمًا رَآنِي The fire of Jahannam will never afflict the one who saw me with Iman. أَوْ رَآ مَنْ رَآنِي Or saw the one who saw me with Iman. This is a narration. All by Tirmidhi, Bukhari, and Muslim from the Siyah Sitta. Rasulullah said, Allah, Allah, fi ashabi. Fear Allah, fear Allah regarding my companions. لا تتخذوهم غرضا من بعدي. Do not make them غرض uh, means an object of your attacks after me. فمن أحبهم فبحبي أحبهم. The one who loves my companions, it is out of his love for me that he loves them. ومن أبغضهم whoever dislikes my companions فبيبغضي أبغضهم. It is a manifestation of his hatred of me that he hates them. Rasulullah also said, Inna Allah ikhtarani, Inna Allah ikhtarani. Allah has chosen me, waqtarali, and He has chosen for me, my companions. Waqtarali ashaba. Fasayati qumun yasubunahum wa yastanqisunahum. A time will come when people will try to find faults in them and will say evil and bad things about them. They will say they became munafiq, they're hypocrites, etc. They will attack the integrity of the wives of Rasulullah. فَلَا تُجَالِسُوهُمْ وَلَا تُوَاكِلُوهُمْ وَلَا تُشَارِبُوهُمْ وَلَا تُنَاكِحُوهُمْ Never sit with such people, never eat with such people, never drink with such people, never marry any one of these people. Four prohibitions in this hadith. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhum, he said, لَا تُصُبُّوا أَصْحَابَ مُحَمَّدٍ فَلَا مُقَامُوا أَحَدِهِمْ سَاعَةً خَيْرٌ مِّنْ عَمَلِكُمْ عُمْرَهُ they do not say anything bad about the companions of Rasulullah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to them as the mu'mineen. Ya ayuhal nabiyyu, hasbukallah, wa manittaba'aka minal 
mu'mineen. O Nabi, it is sufficient for you that Allah is on your side and those true believers that are with you. They are with you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declared his pleasure with the 1400 sahaba that took bay on the hand of Rasulullah sallallahu in the sixth year of hijrah under the tree of Hudaybiyyah. Allah ta'ala says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ In Surah Al-Fatih. Indeed, Allah is pleased with those believers who took their bay on your hand under the tree. Jabir bin Abdullah radiallahu anhu was present. He said, كُنَّا يَوْمُ الْحُدَيْبِيَةِ أَلْفًا وَأَرْبَعَمِيَةِ On the day of Hudaybiyyah, we were 1400 sahaba who had gathered. فَقَالَ لَنَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ أَنْتُمُ الْيَوْمَ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told us, Oh, 1400, you are the best of all the people in the surface of the entire earth that are gathered here. So all of these we have to keep in mind. That saying anything bad about the companions of Rasulullah is unacceptable. This has been warned by Rasulullah There's a hadith. إِذَا ظَهَرَتِ الْفِتَنَ أَوِ الْبِدَعَ وَسُبَّ أَصْحَابِي فَلْيُذْهِرِ الْعَالِمُ عِلْمَهُ فَمَنْ لَمْ يَفْعَلْ ذَلِكَ فَعَلِي لَعَنَتُ اللَّهِ وَالْمَلَائِكْتُ وَالنَّاسِ يَجْمَعِينَ لَا يَقْبُرُ اللَّهُ مِنُّ صَرْفًا وَلَا عَدْلًا This is a warning for not even speaking out. If others are speaking bad about the companions of Rasulullah ﷺ, Rasulullah ﷺ said, When the fitan and the trials and tribulations and the bid'ah will become apparent, and my companions will be, their character will be maligned and people will speak out against them. So the one who has knowledge, let him make his knowledge apparent. Let him not hide it and be quiet and remain silent and observe it. And if he does not speak out against those who are criticizing my companions, then upon him be the curse of Allah and the angels and all of mankind. Allah will not accept from him either farad nor nafal. So this is something which is absolutely not tolerated in our deen. We have to hold all of the sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in in the highest respect. And amongst the sahaba, the levels that are there, these are levels that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned even amongst his prophets. Tilka rusulu Amongst the prophets, Allah Ta'ala says, some of them we have granted higher rank than others. Allah has granted some, the specific honor that Allah spoke to them directly. Only to Musa Kalimullah on the mountain of Tur and Muhammad Habibullah Sallallahu in Mi'raj. I gave Isa ibn Maryam, Allah says, special signs. I sent Jibrail السلام, with him, who used to support him. So these are different ranks amongst the prophets. There are 124,000 more or less Anbiya. There are 124,000 more or less Sahaba who are present in the, the Hajjat al-Wada'ar. And from the 124,000 Anbiya, 313 were specifically mentioned that they were granted a higher status. They are the Rusul. They are not only a Nabi, they are also a Rasul. Meaning they have... A Nabi is the one who has receives revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who is selected by Allah to, for the guidance of mankind is a Nabi. Insanun ba'athahullahu lihidayat al-khalq. This is a definition given by Imam Raghib Aswahani in Kitab al-Ta'rifat, the book of definitions. But a Rasul is beyond that. A Rasul is the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a special book or he sends him for a specific new nation or new tribe. The Anbiya, they were sent multiple Anbiya in the same town. In Surah Yaseen, Allah mentions, in one town there were three Nabis. They didn't bring a new wahi or a new revelation or a new book or a new sharia. They were there for reminding. 
Like in the Bani Israel, there were thousands of Anbiya والسلام, who came. But those who are given a specific task, a specific new Sharia, a specific new revelation were the Rasuls of Allah. The Rasul, plural of Rasul. They were 313. Just like among the Sahaba, Allah selected 313 Ashabul Badr. Rasulullah said, La'allallahi ta'ala alaykum. As Allah has looked upon you, فَقَالِ if أَنْتُمُ تُلُقَاءِ فَعَلُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ You are free from the fire of Jahannam. You may do what you wish. Allah has already forgiven all of you. So they are 313 Ashab al-Badr. They are 313 Rasuls of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From them further, there are four who are the Ulul Azam min al-Rasul, the highest ranking prophets. There are four that are the Khulafa al-Rashidun, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. In the Anbiya, we have Nuh alayhi salam, Najihullah, and Ibrahim Khalilullah, Musa Kalimullah, and Isa Ruhullah. They are known as Ulul Azam min al-Rasul. Allah Ta'ala grants them the specific high status, mentioned them specifically in the Quran. Fasbir, O my Nabi Sallallahu be patient and steadfast. Kama sabara ulul azmi min rusul Like the ulul azm, like the determined prophets of the past. So who are these ulul azm? They are Nuh alayhi salam, 950 years gave da'wah, did not give up. Ibrahim Khalilullah who passed every single test given to him. Musa Kalimullah, his story is in almost every chapter of the Quran. And then of course Isa Ruhullah, these four prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Rasulullah sallallahu is Sayyidul Anbiya wal Mursaleen, Sayyidul Sahaba, he's a leader of both camps. So after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we have the era of the Sahaba. And in the era of Sahaba, after just this brief reminder for all of us that we should not be attacking their honor, what are the events that we go through briefly? First, there's the Khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had already given several indications that he would be his successor. He asked Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha, Mur Abu Bakr fal nas. Tell your father Abu Bakr to lead the prayer. And then she kept on making excuses for Rasulullah, uh, for her father. She said, no, he will cry. He's very soft-hearted. He cannot do it, this and that. Until Rasulullah sallallahu became angry and said loudly. And then she went ahead and told her father to lead the salah. Because she knew that it would be a great responsibility that is going to fall. And the one who was appointed substitute for the salah, when Nabi sallallahu has chosen him to be his representative in the deen, why should he not be the representative of Rasulullah in the dunya, in the worldly affairs as well? So there were many indications from Rasulullah sallallahu for Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu to be the khalifa. When Abu Bakr anhu became the khalifa, he... There was a meeting after Rasulullah left this world. The Ansar, they gathered together in the Saqifah, Bani Sa'ida, one meeting area of the Ansar. And they were discussing who should be the leader. Different opinions were floating around. Umar radiallahu anhu, Abu Ubaid ibn al-Jarrah, and Abu Bakr, these three, they came there. And the mashwara was made. And we have a long history to cover. So in short, the Khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq was decided there. And they took bay on his hands. Ali radiallahu anhu was a member of the family. He was busy in the janazah preparations. That is why he was not present. Eventually, he did also take bay on the hands of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. And he supported him throughout his khilafah of two and a half years. Two years, three months, three days to be precise. Only two years, three months and three days. Khilafah Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He was born two years after Rasulullah. He passed away two years after Rasulullah. He was, Rasulullah was 63 years of age. He was also... 63 years of age. So what did Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu accomplish in his brief khilafah? Number one is that 
After Rasulullah left this world, there was a great power vacuum. So a lot of people who had different ideas, they were coming up with different fitan. Different trials. They were the false prophets. Musayla ibn Kadhab, Aswad Anasi, Tulayha, they were all claiming prophethood. They thought this is a great way of becoming a ruler and a king. Then there were those who said, we will not give zakah. We don't want to give this. We gave this. They considered it a tax and a burden. And then there were external threats. And at this juncture, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu was strong as a mountain, mountain of steadfastness. He was the right person at the right time who filled a very important role in guiding the ummah at this most critical stage. And he took care of all of these trials and these tests. Big issue that was of controversy at that point was what should we do with the Jaishu Usama? Usama bin Zayd radiallahu anhu, anhuma, actually his father and son both were sahaba. Right before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had passed away, he had gathered this contingent and had sent it out. There's a long history behind that. First, Rasulullah had sent a messenger who was assassinated. The messenger he had sent towards Busra. Not Basra, Busra in, in Sham. Then Rasulullah because this was a violation of all uh, understanding that the messenger should not be killed. He goes into the heart of enemy because he has diplomatic immunity. And the messenger Rasulullah was killed. The only messenger that was killed. Rasulullah sent an army. Zayd radiallahu anhu was the Amir. And he said, Zayd ibn Haritha, my, his adopted son, he made him the Amir. And he said, if he becomes Shaheed, then Abdullah bin, uh, then Ja'far bin Abi Talib should be the Amir. If he becomes Shaheed, then Abdullah bin Rawaha should be the Amir. If he becomes Shaheed, then you should pick any one of you. So a Yehudi was there, he said, all three will die. This is how the prophets of the past used to prophesize. So then, that is exactly what happened. All three of them became Shaheed in the battle of Mu'ta. Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu took the command and the battle ended in stalemate. There was neither open victory or defeat for the Muslims. They came back. But the matter was not complete. So Rasulullah sent his son. Zayd radiallahu anhu was the Amir of the first army. He sent his son Usama and made him the Amir. He was an 18-year-old boy, young man. Of today's age boy, at that time he would say young man. And Rasulullah made him the Amir. Great illustrious companions, including the second Khalifa to become in the future, near future, Umar radiallahu was under his command. And he said, Anfiru Jaisha Usama, send this army out. They had gone out to the suburb of Medina and they had heard that Rasulullah is very fatally sick and possibly fatally sick in his. So they were concerned, so they stayed back and then they heard that he did pass away, so they returned for the Janazah. And afterwards, all the Sahaba radiallahu anhu unanimously said that there are so many threats, external threats, internal threats. We cannot send this army out. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he took a very firm stand. He said, Ayyu sama'in tudilluni, which sky will give me shade? Wa ayyu ardin taqilluni, which earth will bear my burden if I do not fulfill the order of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All the Ansar, all the Muhajirin, all the Ashram Mubashara, the nine of the ten. I mean, he is one, so the remaining nine. Everyone were there. They, all the ten Sahaba guaranteed Jannah, nine of them, they all unanimously agreed that no, 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 we cannot send this army out. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was alone. He said, I will fulfill the order of Rasulullah sallam, even if I am left alone. لَوْ خَتَفَتْنِيَ الْكِلَابُ وَالذِّيَابُ لَا أَنفَسْتُهُ كَمَا أَمْرَ بِهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ If the entire Medina, they said, what are we going to do? We have so many different problems all over the Arabian Peninsula. We have to take care of all of these, uh, these different issues. We can't afford to go on an offensive campaign when we are now in a defensive mode. He says that if all of Medina is emptied, and there is no one left to defend Medina, 
and then I die defending the honor of the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu and there's no one left to even bury me. And khatafatani al-kilabu al-dhi'ab means that even if the dogs and the wolves, they are dragging my corpse in the streets. I don't care about that, but I will fulfill the order of Rasulullah They said, what about those people who are not giving zakat? They say they're believers, but they don't want to give zakat. Just leave them alone. He said, لَوْ مَنَعُونِي عِقَالًا If they were giving the camel and the rope in the time of Rasulullah Wasallam, and they said, now we will give the camel, we won't give the rope, I will wage jihad against them. Can there be any decrease in deen and Siddiq is alive? This cannot happen. So he sent out. And he told Osama bin Zayd, you are the commander, 18 year old, I take, uh, seek your permission, do you allow Umar bin Khattab to stay back? So he, he said, of course, he said, I need Umar bin Khattab, if you allow him to stay back with me. He said, yes, for def- most definitely. He sent that army out. And it was an amazing effect of that. He sent 11 different brigades out in 11 different directions. He himself was going out. Then Ali radiallahu anhu, this shows the love he had for Abu Bakr Siddiq. He held his, the reins of his horse and he pleaded and cried. He said, oh Abu Bakr, we need you. The ummah needs you. Please do not go. Please continue to stay here. So he stayed back. When Osama bin Zayd's army went out, the people were so much in awe and impressed that they must be so strong in the capital. They must have such defenses that they are in a position of sending out an offensive army in the direction of the Byzantine Empire, the Roman Empire, Eastern Roman Empire. How strong they must be. So it had a great impact on the remaining tribes within the Arabian Peninsula. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unified the Arabian Peninsula under the banner of Islam during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq within a short period. All of these threats were eliminated one by one. Thereafter, Abu Bakr Siddiq era, Khalid bin Walid was dispatched towards Iraq, and Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah was dispatched towards Sham. So there were two superpowers at that time, the Persian Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire, the Kisra and the Qaisar. So he took them both on at the same time. You know, we say you don't open too many fronts. Simultaneously, he opened two fronts, and the era of the Fatuh al-Iraq and Fatuh al-Sham began. The conquest of Iraq and Iran, the conquest of Sham, and leading on towards Misr. So there are many beautiful events during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq that we can study another time. After his, when he was leaving this world, when he became sick, then he made Masharwata Sahaba. And he asked them, who do you think should be my successor? They all made mashwara and came back and they said, we cannot come to any consensus. We give this decision back to you. You appoint someone. Then he su- suggested Umar ibn al-Khattab. He's, he asked uh, the Sahaba, are you pleased with this? Now the virtues of Umar anhu, that is, you know, we can have a whole seminar on that. On virtues of every single companion, you could have a whole seminar. If there would be a prophet after me, he would have been Umar. And there are certain people who are mulham, who receive divine inspiration. Umar radiallahu anhu is mulham, he receives inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Man kana ra'ihu muwafiqan bil wahi wal kitab. He was the one on 14 occasions that the opinion he gave, Allah gave the, sent down the revelation according to the opinion given by Umar radiallahu anhu. Umar radiallahu said, Ya Rasulullah, this is how you should treat the prisoners of Badr. Allah revealed the ayah, confirming his opinion. Ya Rasulullah, this is what you, the ayat of hijab. They should be hijab. The ayat of hijab comes. Ya Nabiya Qulli Aswajika wa Banatika wa Nisai Mu'mineen Yudhineen Alihinna Min Jalabi Bihinna Ya Rasulullah this is his opinion then the ayah comes on 14 occasions. So Allah Ta'ala had given him granted him great wisdom. Abu Bakr Siddiq asked the Sahaba are you pleased with my uh, decision my nomination? It was not decision yet nomination. So then they all said they approved it. Then Abu Bakr Siddiq called Uthman ibn Affan and he told him to write. 
a letter. And he wrote a very beautiful letter. So beautiful, I wouldn't actually read the translation. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, the name of Allah, most magnificent, most merciful. This is a testament set forth by Abu Bakr, the Khalifa of Rasulullah, the, the successor to the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, during his final days on earth, and in anticipation of his entry into the hereafter. As he endures that condition in which even the denier of the truth believes, everyone believes in death, and which causes even the disobedient to be certain of the truth, everyone repents at that moment. I hereby commission as your leader, Umar ibn al-Khattab. If he exercises forbearance and justice, this is what I would expect of him, based on my knowledge of his character. If on the other hand, he follows a path of injustice, then I have no claim to knowledge of that which has yet to be revealed. He mentions that if they would, hypothetically, if something you commit wrong, this is the justice and this is his honesty. That he said if something wrong occurs, then I should not be held responsible for that, for appointing him, for that is the knowledge of which I do not have. Whichever transpires, don't worry, every one of us will be rewarded or punished according to what he has done. If he, if he will do good, he will be rewarded. And if he will do wrong, he will be punished by Allah. Then he placed a seal on the letter. And Uthman took it out after his passing away and read it out to the people. Everyone agreed on Umar It was a very smooth transfer. Because the whole fight, the civil war, takes place over Imara, as you will see. So that's why I'm talking about just the transfer of the Imara. Umar became the Khalifa without any argumentation, fighting, disputation, nothing. Then Umar during his Khilafah, ten and a half years, it was the ultimate glory, most glorious time in Islam. Not only were there amazing conquests in the east, in the west, in the north, in all directions, Islam was spreading, but he consolidated that. If Abu Bakr, if you want to summarize his accomplishments, it would be taking care of all those immediate threats upon the leaving of Rasulullah, passing away of Rasulullah and solidifying the base in the Arabian Peninsula. Whereas Umar during his Khilafah, it was the great expansion of Islam. And the systematic setup of the government. He, set, he created the postal service, the hospitals, the pension from the Islamic treasury, the money that was pouring in. Pension system, welfare system, uh, police force, all of the branches of the government. MashaAllah, Umar was an amazing, not only conqueror, but also administrator. And, and he knew how to pick the right people for the right job. This becomes a big issue later on. The governors, all of the governors he appointed were amazing people. And he would have great tight control over them. They would all be afraid of Allah and afraid of the day of Qiyamah and afraid of Amir Mu'mineen, Umar There would be absolutely no injustice Tolerated. To the extent when the earth begins to shake and an earthquake is happening, Umar takes out his whip and he whips the earth and he says that stop moving is not Umar establishing justice upon you. Literally, the earth stops shaking. That was the time of Umar. And then eventually, there is a great conspiracy. Pharaoh's Abu Lu'lu. He comes and eventually assassinates Umar while he is leading the Fajr Salah. And he requests Aisha Siddiqah to be granted a place to be buried in the Hujra, in her Hujra, where her husband Rasulullah was buried and her father Abu Bakr was buried. She said, I had saved this place for myself because my husband is here. This was my room in the first place, my house. Then my husband Muhammad Rasulullah is buried there. Then my father Abu Bakr was buried next to him and I thought I will be buried here. 
But now I give you preference over myself. I will be buried in Jannatul Baqiyah. And she granted the place to Umar radiallahu anhu. He was buried. This is the Roda, of course, next to the Masjid al-Nabawi. We go and visit the grave of Rasulullah, Abu Bakr, and Umar. They were his wazirs in his hayat, they were, and they are his rafiq fil mama. They are the, his, those who Rasulullah would consult with them when he was alive, and they are his companions in death. After Isha, everyone would go away home. Rasulullah would sit and talk with Abu Bakr and Umar. Private mashwara. His, the two people in which he would confide the secrets and talk with them and take their advice. Umar narrates this. But that is another lesson on its own, the adab. The way of speaking. He didn't say Rasulullah used to have private consultations with me and Abu Bakr. He said, كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ يُشَافِرُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ وَكُنْتُ مَعَهُمَا Nabi used to take mashwara with Abu Bakr. And I used to be, happened to be with both of the two. With, with both of them. So how is there? He was not uninvited. He can't just hang out with them. He was invited, he was part of the mashwara. But he said that Rasulullah was actually taking mashwara with Abu Bakr. وَكُنْتُ مَعَهُمَا And I was sitting also with the two. After Umar radiallahu anhu, how did that happen? Umar radiallahu anhu when he passed away, in the transfer of power, how did that happen? He, he, when he was stabbed, he was bleeding to death. He had some time. He was not killed. He was stabbed several times with the poison dagger, but he did not die. The sahaba were there in the first half of Masjid al-Nabawi. They threw a blanket on top of Firoz Abu Lulu because he started stabbing everyone else around him. Then when he knew that he was going to be caught, he killed himself. And Umar radiallahu anhu, he had, some, he had some hours before he passed away, some time. And during that period of time, he, he said that they are Ashara Mubashara, the ten Sahaba guaranteed Jannah. From there, Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu, now he, two are going. One has gone, one is leaving now. So how many are remaining? Eight. From the eight, one of them, Sa'id ibn Zaid, was his cousin. So by being, virtue of being his cousin, he already excluded him. Cousin slash brother-in-law, Sa'id ibn Zaid radiallahu anhu, married his sister Fatima bint Khattab and also his cousin. And then there remained seven. And from these seven, Aminul Ummah, Rasulullah has said, لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ أَمِينٌ وَأَمِينُ هَذِي الْأُمَّةِ أَبُوْ بَيْدَةِ إِبْنُ جَرَّةِ Every ummah has the most trustworthy individual. The most trustworthy individual of this ummah is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. He had already passed away in the 18th year of Hijrah. When there was a plague, he passed away in the Ta'un Amwas. So how many remaining? Six. These six he selected and he said, these six will be the Majlis al-Shura. They will decide amongst them who will be the next Khalifa. They were... Talha ibn Ubaidillah, Zubair ibn al-Awam, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, Uthman ibn Affan, and of course, Ali bin Abi Talib. Radiyallahu anhu majma'in. So these six sahaba, he said, amongst themselves, they will select one of them to be the Khalifa. So they made mashwara. And Zubair radiyallahu anhu said, I withdraw myself from this position, and in place of myself, I nominate Ali radiyallahu anhu to be the Khalifa. Zubair ibn Awam. Talha radiallahu anhu, he said, I withdraw myself and I, and I nominate Uthman bin Affan radiallahu And Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas, Fatih Iran, he said that I withdraw myself and I nominate Abdurrahman ibn Awf. Rasulullah sallallahu had said, Sayyidun bin Sadat al-Muslimin, he's the leader of the believers. Abdurrahman bin Awf, the great generous Sahabi radiallahu anhu. 
He's actually the only Sahabi that Rasulullah performed the whole salah behind him. In one of the campaigns, when Rasulullah was delayed and delayed and delayed and the salah became so late, then they appointed him to be the Imam. He led the prayer. He did not know Rasulullah joined in the back. Whereas when Abu Bakr Siddiq was leading the Prophet's sickness, when he came out finally, Abu Bakr Siddiq moved back and Rasulullah took over. The only one who led the salah and the Prophet performed salah behind him, farad salah, it's Abdurrahman bin Auf. So these, in any case, each sahabi has his own virtues. So these, from the six, three came out and three, three left. Who was left? Abdurrahman bin Auf, Uthman ibn Affan, and Ali ibn Abi Talib. So they three were sitting together. Then Abdurrahman ibn Auf, radiallahu anhuma, he said that, Okay, literally everyone has one vote each now. He said, how about if I withdraw myself from this position and would both of you agree to whomsoever I select from amongst you two? So whoever he will give the vote for will end up having two votes. So he said, I withdraw myself. Would you both agree to my decision? They both said most definitely so. So then Abdul Rahman ibn Awf said, give me three days time. So all eyes of the nation were upon him. So Abdurrahman bin Auf he made mashwara with the senior muhajirin, with the senior ansar. Then he made mashwara with the outside tribes, then with their elders, with their youngsters. He went and talked to the kids in the streets. Then he ordered the women to gather together and he took mashwara from the women. He wanted to hear what the women had to say. Then he went to the outside tribes. Then he went to the non-Arabs, to the Arabs, everyone. Then he made, must have made very sincere istikhara to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Three days and three nights, pondering and reflecting. And from everyone he heard praises of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And Ali on both. Then finally, on the fourth day, he gathered everyone in the masjid. And then he called Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. And he said that, I take way on your hands as you are the Amir al-Mu'mineen. His Amir al-Mu'mineen ship was declared. And Ali radiallahu anhu, very gladly and publicly, also took way on his hands. So Uthman radiallahu anhu thus became the Khalifa. In Uthman radiallahu anhu's time, he had a very long Khilafah, mashallah, of 12 years. The first six years was just like the previous Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu's time. Peace and prosperity, beyond peace and prosperity, victory upon victory. And you were seeing groups and groups of people entering into the fold of, of Islam. Islam spread so far that Abdurrahman ibn Samara radiallahu anhu, he had reached Kabul in the east during the Khilafah of Uthman radiallahu anhu. They had, Amr ibn al-As had crossed into Egypt, passing Egypt into Libya, passing Libya into Algeria of today. Libya and Algeria in West Africa, northwest Africa. Islam had spread during the Khilafah of Uthman radiallahu anhu. In the north, Hudayf ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anhu had crossed the frontiers of Azerbaijan and Armenia into present-day Russia. This is how far rapidly Islam was spreading. And it seemed it, it was impossible to ever stop this tide. There is no way that the Muslim advance can ever be checked. It is, in the history of the world, it's unparalleled how fast and rapidly the Muslim frontier was moving for, forward, north, east, and west, every direction. So the enemies of Islam and the conspirators, they began to contemplate what is the way, how we can stop this. And the only way that the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be taken away from the believers is if we begin to, to create divisions within them and they begin to fight with one another. This is, right, the teachings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us in the Quran itself. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayuhal ladheena amanu, idha laqeetum fi'atan, fathbutu. Or those who believe, when you face an enemy, then remain steadfast. Remember Allah abundantly so you may be successful. And obey Allah and the Rasul. And do not argue, do not fight with one another. What will happen? You become weak. The awe you inspire in the hearts of your enemies will be taken away. And they will not be afraid of you anymore. And remain patient. Because to be able to remain united, you have to be patient. What is the relationship? It's because to remain united, we have to be able to tolerate differences in opinions. People have different approaches and different ways of dealing with things. We have to have tolerance. And this tolerance requires sabr. That's why Allah Ta'ala, when He speaks about do not, be uni- do not um, argue with one another, He mentions, وَلَا تَنَازَعُوا Be patient. Be patient. Don't insist on your own opinion every time. So, different fitnas. One, one person who enters this, uh, the scene at this stage is Abdullah bin Sabah. Abdullah bin Sabah was a Yehudi from Yemen, of Yemeni origin. He was a munafiq. Maradu al-Nifaq. A hardcore hypocrite who was full of kufr and nifaq from inside, but outwardly acted as a believer. So he started creating different fitnas amongst the people. Divisions at different levels. First he created a division between the non-Arab and the Arabs. He told the non-Arabs, you are treated, you are like slaves, you are subjugated. Even though the non-Arabs, their, their, their rights were so much upheld. Their, their history is, that can be written on the way the non-Muslims were treated. He created a division there at the first level between the, the non-Arabs and the Arabs. Even the one who, was assass- uh, who actually assassinated Umar was a Majusi, Persian, non-Arab. And Umar that is why when he's passing away, he could have given an order that exterminate them, or kill them, or banish them from Medina. They are the ones who... Have- he f- was afraid that people might take out their anger. That is why, in fact, he kept on speaking about the Dhimmiyin, that those who are the non-Muslims under our... Responsibility, make sure that their rights are not violated. This is the parting advice of Umar So, But he created that division. And number two is that within the Arabs, the non-Quraysh and the Quraysh, he created this division. He told the non-Quraysh that you guys are not getting any positions. You're not generals. You are just soldiers, foot soldiers. No one is promoting you in the ranks. Then within the Quraysh, he created this division between the Banu Hashim and the Banu Umayyah. He told the Banu Hashim, you are being sidelined. And he took advantage of this historic rift between these two clans. From Jahiliya also, the Banu Hashim and Banu Amiyah, they have been fighting with one another for being in control of the Quraysh. Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of Rasulullah, was from the Banu Hashim. Then after that it was Abu, uh, Abu Talib, then Abdul Lahab. Abu Lahab, these were the leaders from the Banu Hashim. After that it passed to the Banu Umayyah, Abu Sufyan was the leader of the Quraysh. So the Banu Hashim and Banu Umayyah were always competing with one another. Abu Bakr anhu was from neither. Umar anhu was from neither of the two. So that is why it was easier. From the Banu Adi, from, they were from other sub-clans. But when it came between Uthman and Ali Uthman was from the Banu Umayyah. And Ali from the family of Rasulullah was from the Banu Hashim. They were both from the Quraysh. 
Banu Hashim and Banu Umayyah. So he told the Banu Hashim, Oh, Ali radiallahu family, you guys are being sidelined. All the governors are from the family of Uthman radiallahu So between non-Arab and Arab created divisions. And between the non-Qurayshis and the Qurayshis created divisions. And then within the Quraysh, between the Banu Hashim and Banu Umayyah created divisions. And then between Ali and Uthman radiallahu He tried to create divisions in the hearts of the people. And he created different places of fitnas. These houses of fitna and these different safe houses where they would meet and plan and plot, this started from the time of Rasulullah himself. The Masjid al-Dirar, which was a meeting place where they were planning to collect arms. And this was a safe house where they were planning to attack Rasulullah from inside with collaboration from the Roman Emperor. This is mentioned in the Qur'an. They invited Rasulullah as the guest of honor for cutting the ribbon, opening ceremony. This is a masjid, we have built a new masjid in Quba, near masjid of Quba, outside of Medina. Rasulullah you are invited to come for the opening ceremony. Allah revealed the ayah in the Quran. لا تقوم فيه أبدا. Don't ever go there. That's not a masjid. That is actually another purpose. There are people, if today we are surprised by, or we become worried when we see that there are people who are under the guise of Muslim, being Muslim, calling themselves Muslim, or being scholars of Islam, they're promoting all kinds of wrong things, then this is not a new concept. This happened not a few centuries ago, it started. This, not, this did not happen after the breakup of the Osmani Khilafah in, after World War I, or this century, or a few centuries ago, or after the fall of Baghdad, or after the Abbasi Khilafah, then they started. Or during the Khilafah Rashida, it started. Or during Osman's time and Ali Razan's time, civil war, no. This happened when Rasulullah was still alive. Allah Ta'ala says, لا تقوم فيها بدا. That's not a masjid. That's actually a place of creating fitna and division amongst the Muslim ummah. لَمَسْجِدٌ أُسِسَ عَلَى تَقْوَى مِنَ أَوَّلِ يَوْمَ حَقْوَى أَن تَقُمَ فِيهِ O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O my Nabi, there's another nearby masjid known as Masjid Quba. The foundation of that masjid is on taqwa from the first day. Go and perform salah there. فِيهِ رِجَالٌ يُحِبُّونَ أَن يَتَطَهَّرُوا There are men there who love to purify themselves externally as well as internally. So he created places of fitna and had his agents in Basra, in Kufa, in, 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 in Egypt. And they started, they started all of these objections against Usman One of the major objections they had was that he was appointing members of his family to key positions as governors of the newly conquered territories. The governor of Kufa, governor of Basra, governor of Misr. There are many of him were his cousins. When we're talking about this, let's remember who is Uthman ibn Affan. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had mentioned his virtues in so many ahadith. One time when Rasulullah sallallahu was on the, on the mountain, of when the mountain began to shake, mountain of Uhud, what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say? This is a sahih hadith. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Uthbut Uhud. Oh Uhud, stop moving. فَإِنَّمَا عَلَيْكَ نَبِيٌّ وَسِدِّيقٌ وَشَهِيدَانٌ Upon you is standing a nabi in a siddiq. In two shaheeds. Who was there? Of course, it was Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Siddiq Abu Bakr, and Umar and Uthman radiallahu anhumah. And Uthman radiallahu anhu, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned when he spent so much in the path of Allah, he pleased Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on different campaigns, in the Jaysh al-Usra, in the campaign of difficulty, that's the name of it, Jaysh al-Usra, the campaign of great difficulty, the campaign of the battle of Tabuk. He commissioned 1,000 
not fully animals and so and fully loaded. There's a whole long hadith about this. Yeah, Rasulullah was raising funds for the battle. So Uthman radiallahu stood up. And Abdurrahman ibn Janab radiallahu anh I was there, Abdurrahman ibn Janab says, when Rasulullah was raising funds for the battle of Tabuk. فقام Uthman, Uthman radiallahu anh stood up. He said, Ya Rasulullah, عليه مئة بعير بأحلاسها وقدابها في سبيل الله. Upon me is 100 camels fully loaded. Then Rasulullah He continued to raise funds. So don't blame the fundraisers. Uh, again he stood up. He said, Ya Rasulullah, بأحلاسها وقتابها في سبيل الله. 200 more camels upon me. I will take the responsibility. Then Then Rasulullah continued to raise funds. He said, بعير, 300 more camels. Not adding 100 each time, 300 more. فأنا رأيت رسول الله ينزل على المنبر وهو يقول I saw Rasulullah coming down from the member so happy please he said ما على عثمان ما عمل بعد هذه there is absolutely nothing Uthman رضي الله needs to do after today there is nothing he could ever do that will hurt him after today likewise another hadith mentioned of Shahab Zuhri narrates that on the battle of Tabuk Uthman ibn Affan he brought 940 camels and 60 horses to complete 1,000 animals for the sake of Allah, fully loaded, etc., etc. Rasulullah had already prophesied, This person will be killed unjustly. Rasulullah told Uthman, Ya Uthman, إنه لعل الله يقمسك قميسا فإن أرادوك على خلعه فلا تخلعه. Allah will grant you a robe of honor. People will come and try to snatch that from you. Do not give it up. He told Uthman, رضي الله عنه. In one occasion, Rasulullah they could not locate him. The Sahaba were very anxious. Where had Rasulullah gone? Was he attacked? Because they were always aware of his presence. He's with them physically, and they were cooling their eyes by gazing upon his beloved face, or they knew he was at home and safe. But there was never an opportunity where they no one knew where he was. And the reason was not that they were obsessive about him, but rather because they cared and loved about him, and they knew that they were people ready to assassinate him. There were several assassination attempts in Medina, from the hypocrites. So one occasion, they couldn't find him. No one knew where he was. He was not at home, he's not in the masjid. Anyone know where he is? No one knows where he is. So they were afraid. The Yehud had called him, then they had thrown rocks upon him one time. They tried to poison him when they invited him to food, etc., etc. Where is he? So the Sahaba went in different groups to try to find him. Long story short, they eventually found Rasulullah in a walled garden. He was sitting by a well with his feet dangling inside. And then Abu Bakr comes, and he seeks permission. Rasulullah said, Grant him permission to enter. Grant him the Bashar of Jannah. He came and sat next to Rasulullah. Then Umar came. Rasulullah said, Grant him the Bashar of Jannah. And he came and sat next to Rasulullah. Then Uthman came. Rasulullah said, Grant him the Bashar of Jannah with the warning that a great trial will come. You will have to face that. So he said, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah on the Bashar of Jannah and I seek the help of Allah for the trial that I must face. So this trial had been prophesied. He came and he sat down on the opposite side. Abu Bakr and Umar were sitting next to Rasulullah and Uthman was sitting on the opposite side. So Shihabuddin Zuri, the muhaddis, when he narrates this hadith, he says that this was how they were actually buried. Abu Bakr and Umar were sitting next to Rasulullah and Uthman on the opposite side in Baqir. Actually, Baqir of today, outside of Baqir at that time. They didn't even give him an opportunity to be buried in Baqir. 
So this was Uthman is the one who bought the well when, and he gave the first endowment in Islam when the Sahaba did not have any water to drink when they came to Medina. Uthman is the one who was granted two daughters of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Rasulullah said, if I had 40 daughters one after another, I would give them in marriage to Uthman Such a gentle Sahabi, noble Sahabi. In the, when the Sahaba came to, with Rasulullah to perform Umrah, Rasulullah selected Uthman to be the representative on behalf of Rasulullah to go and talk to the Quraysh to grant them the visa to enter into, into Makkah to perform the Umrah. And when they told him to make the tawaf, he said, how can I make tawaf when my beloved is stopped outside? He did not make the Umrah. And when the news spread that Uthman was made shaheed, again, the messenger has been made shaheed, then Rasulullah took the bay'ah on behalf of Uthman So 1400 sahaba who were there, they took the pledge that we shall avenge the blood of Uthman. So several years later, decades later, when he was actually made shaheed, they remembered that. They said, we had taken the pledge on, on the hand of Rasulullah that we shall avenge the assassination of Uthman, which did not happen then, and now it happened now. This is the actualization of that pledge that we had taken many years earlier. How did that happen? So Abdullah bin Sabah created all of these problems against him. And the main objection was, he was appointing his cousins as key positions and governors. Why was he doing that? One simple reason was that he was very modest in nature. In fact, Rasulullah himself testified to that. أَصْدَقُهُمْ حَيَاءً Uthman. From among all my companions, the one who has the most haya is Uthman. Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha one time asked Rasulullah when you were sitting with your shin exposed, and then Abu Bakr radiallahu anha came, you sat in the same position. When Umar came, you sat in the same position. Then when Uthman came, you made it your, all your clothes proper and you covered your shin and sat up very nicely. Can you explain your behavior? Why did you give this extra honor to Uthman radiallahu anha? When my father and Umar came, you sat in the normal state. She was inquiring about this. So what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi said? Shall I not show modesty in front of Uthman when the angels show modesty in front of him? He is so modest, he is so modest uh, that if he saw my shin exposed, which is permissible because the aura, the area that must be covered for a male is from the navel till the knee. Then he would be so overcome with bashfulness he would not be able to express his need why he would come. He would start fumbling and he would start uh, mixing up his words and he would have to say, sorry, I'll come back later and leave. And why he came, what he came to speak about, what was his need, he would not be able to articulate that because he, he cannot tolerate the sight of a shin being exposed. The shin of Rasulullah wasallam. That is a level of his haya. So if he has that level of haya, Rasulullah wasallam mentioned this, would it be easy for him like Umar ibn al-Khattab to catch the governor's and take them to task, it was very difficult for him. So the family members, he had some familiarity with them. It was easier for him to catch nephews, nephews meaning cousins, children, and others, cousins, those who were from the Banu Umayyah, he could talk to them easier. It was easier for him to communicate with them. That is why he was appointing them. And in any case, this Abdullah bin Sabah created such a havoc that a group of the people from Egypt, they came. They came and marched towards Medina that we are going to remove Uthman from his position. He is doing injustice. He is not establishing justice. Uthman ibn Affan, amazingly, he actually asked Ali, the one that they are promoting, 
that you can go and go and speak to them. Ali radiallahu anhu went and spoke to them. Not only spoke to them, very he attacked them. He said, "What are you people doing? This is absolutely wrong." He rebuked them in the strongest terms, and he sent them back. They themselves became confused. We came here to fight for him, and he is turning us back. So that initial attack was averted. Then Uthman radiallahu he was advised, what should he do? He asked Ali radiallahu anhu, how should I handle this crisis? He said, go in the masjid and we address the people. He went and spoke to the people and he told them that I, if you feel I have done anything wrong, I repent from that. I fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whatever your questions are, whatever your grievances are, I'm ready to address them. Everything was fine. Then there were the other people who were near him. There are some narrations now which Allahu Alam, they portray that Marwan ibn al-Hakam from the family of Uthman anhu, he played a very bad role at this point. That Marwan ibn al-Hakam, he's, Uthman ibn Affan anhu, said, your main objection is about my governors, I dismiss all of them, I will replace them with the governors that you like. And he came back. Then Marwan ibn al-Hakam, he came to Uthman ibn Affan anhu, Amir Mu'minin, and he said that, why did you give up your position? You are showing weakness to the people. You had done nothing wrong, etc., etc. And allow me to address the people on your behalf. I will fix everything wrong that you have said. And he went out to the people and he said that, go away from here. All of your requests are denied. And do you know who you're dealing with? Uthman radiallahu anhu is the khalifa and his will and his order shall prevail. So the people became more angry. So this thing continued on and on. But, but in particular, the people of Egypt, they were very, very angry with Ibn Abi Sarh, who was the governor. They had a whole list of objections. When they came to Uthman radiallahu anhu, Uthman radiallahu anhu said, okay, fine. Who do you want as your new governor? They made mashwara, Aisha Siddiqah radiallahu anhu, Talha radiallahu anhu. They said that Muhammad bin Abi Bakr radiallahu anhu. Abu Bakr's son, he was not a sahabi, Muhammad bin Abi Bakr. They, they wanted him to be the governor of Egypt. He said, fine, go ahead. He wrote a letter, Muhammad bin Abi Bakr was also part of that contingent, the group. This is where it's now getting the f- very difficult, the last moments, how it builds up to his actual assassination. So he told Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, you go with this group, Ansari Muhajirin, he gives some leaders and influential early Muhajirin and Ansar, also in that group, and their supporters, go towards Egypt, go to the present governor, Ibn Abi Sarh, tell him you are now removed from your position, Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, you are now appointed as the governor and everyone should be happy and the fitna should be now calm down. So they, were, they sent out, they were happy, their objective was achieved. As they were traveling, then they saw one Abyssinian African slave on a camel. He was coming, rushing, running fast like he was on a mission. Then he came up to the group provoke some people, then he would run away. Then you came to the group, provoke them and would run away. He was acting very strange. And he was intentionally doing that. So then they caught him. They said, what's wrong with you? What's, why are you acting in such a manner? You, you seem like a man on a mission. And he said, I am the slave of... Who are, who are you? Whose slave are you? I am the slave of Uthman radiallahu Incidentally, mentioning a slave, from the day he accepted Islam, till the day he returned to Allah, every single Friday... Not a single Friday passed in the life of Usman radiallahu anhu that he did not free a slave. If he ever missed a Friday, he would make it up. If he had freed this slave, it would have been khair for the ummah. But Allah had decreed otherwise. This slave was still a slave. He said that I'm a slave of Usman radiallahu anhu. 
And what are you doing? He said, I have a letter of Uthman. Then they looked through his belongings and they found a letter. It was, had the seal of Uthman ibn Affan. So they op- broke the seal, they looked inside. What is going on? They saw a letter with the seal of the Khalifa, with the camel of the Khalifa, with the slave of the Khalifa, addressed to Ibn Abi Sarah. That you remain my governor. This Muhammad bin Abi Bakr is coming. He thinks he's going to be the governor. First thing you do is you catch him and behead him. Next, all the people who are coming, you also imprison them and wait for my further orders. Don't worry about what they are going to say. So when they saw this, of course, they became very enraged. They returned back very angry. They brought this to Ali radiallahu and others. They also became upset. What is going on? They came to Uthman radiallahu and said, how did you do this? He said, they asked him, is this your slave? He said, yes. Is this your camel? Yes. Is this your seal? Yes. Is this your letter? No. How does that add up? I didn't write it. Did you, you didn't write it? No. I, never, I don't know anything about it. Wallah, I never wrote it. Then who wrote it? This was some inside 15 people who had written this letter. Those who are the instigators, as you will see this recurring now, that there is a hidden third hand group that Rasulullah had mentioned, Al-Fi'atul Baqiyah. They were creating this fitnas. And Abu Bakr, Uthman anhu was totally right in what he was saying. Ali anhu was totally right in his approach. They were naturally angry. This, this does not add up. So these people now surrounded his house. And they besieged him. It's so tragic that the one who established the first waqf and endowment, the well from Medina, supplied the water from Medina, the water was stopped from his own home. The one who expanded the Masjid al-Nabawi, he was not allowed to perform the salah in the Masjid al-Nabawi. A period of time passed. Ali radiallahu he still was on the side of Uthman radiallahu anhu, which can be proven from the fact that his own beloved sons, Hassan and Hussein radiallahu anhu, he sent them. He said, you go and guard. They were standing on the front door, guarding the front entrance of Uthman radiallahu anhu's house. No one really imagined it could get so bad that they would actually kill a living Khalifa. So-called Muslims are going to kill the living Khalifa, standing Khalifa of the time. They never really imagined it. Otherwise, they would have taken even more precautions. So Uthman radiallahu he was now besieged. Muawiyah radiallahu his cousin who was established in Syria, in Dimashq, in Damascus, very firmly established there. He was the one who conquered Damascus the first time during the Khilafah of Umar, and he had been the continuous governor for all these decades. He told his cousin, Uthman, come to me, I will defend you, I'll take care of you, you'll be safe here. Medina is now overrun with rebels. He said, no, no, no I'm not going to give up Medina. And Rasulullah had prophesied this. Then they told him, just attack these people and kill them. He said, I do not want to be the first one who takes out the sword. Because the Rasulullah had prophesied, once the sword will come out from the scabbard of Muslim against Muslim, it will never go back. I do not want to be the one I do not want to be the first one who takes out the sword against Muslims not on my name so then they continued to surround his house Uthman radiallahu came onto the roof one day and he addressed the people he said anyone's life can be taken I'm a Muslim but a Muslim's life can be taken in few circumstances number one if you kill someone unlawfully qisas have I killed anyone unlawfully? Is there any case pending against me? Is there opportunity for qisas? Absolutely not. Number two, if a person committed zina, rajam, we pelted to death. I never committed zina in jahiliyyah, much less in Islam, when everyone was committing zina. And number three, is if a, if a person becomes murtad, forsakes the deen. I did not forsake the deen. If anyone has a doubt, ashadu wa la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Is it lawful to kill me? 
And yet I reminded them of the, his favors, but they did not give up. They were blinded by their wrong understanding of the scenario and what they had been fed by Abdullah bin Sabah. Abdullah bin Sabah told them that Ali radiallahu is the Khalifa should have been from the beginning. He was appointed by Rasulullah sallallahu Abu Bakr had taken away his right. Umar had taken away his right. Uthman radiallahu is taking away his right. All kinds of wrong teachings that they had. This was the formation of the group of Ali, known as the Shia'atu Ali, the group of Ali. Later on, in short, we called them the Shia. So, they believed Uthman radiallahu to be a, a zalim, an oppressor, unjust. And they felt they were doing right. And eventually, they crossed the wall from behind. They entered unto him when he was reciting the Qur'an. He is the one who compiled the Qur'an, another great accomplishment of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And he was reciting Surah Al-Baqarah. They killed him while he was reciting the Qur'an. And the blood fell on the ayah, فَسَيَكْفِيكَهُمُ اللَّهِ Allah will suffice for you against your enemies. وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ He is all-hearing, all-knowing. This is the copy of the Qur'an, the actual physical manuscript. Quran, which is present in the top copy museum in Istanbul today, with the blood stain of Uthman Muhammad bin Abi Bakr, he came and he was amongst the attackers, the assassins, and he came and he grabbed the beard of Uthman ibn Affan and pulled on it. And Uthman ibn Affan looked at him and he said, Oh Muhammad, if your father saw you doing this to his friend, he would not be pleased. When he heard that, even though he believes that Uthman ibn Affan, based on the letter, was plotting to kill him and had deceived him. He was struck by that and Allah protected him, he let go. He was about to kill Uthman himself, but he let go, he said. And, but the other one who was there attacked him. Naila radiallahu his wife, put her hand to defend her husband. Uthman knew his end was near, so he had freed all his slaves. And he told all the family members, go, no one needs to stay. But his wife Naila stayed with him alone. There's no food, no water in the house. She was suffering as well. She was like the wife of Ayub alayhi salam. Patient till the end. She put her hand to defend her husband and her fingers were cut off. Those fingers played a big role later on. They were used to exhort the people to fight. They were actually taken all the way to Damascus. The fingers of Naila radiallahu anha. And then they attacked him and they killed him. After his shahada, there was great... Uh, Fitna in Medina. There was no one to lead the salah in the Muslim way. And the rebels had taken over. It was complete anarchy. It was in such a difficult position that Ali radiallahu anhu was approached and they told him to become the Khalifa. The greatest tragedy with Ali radiallahu anhu was from the beginning, in his four and a half years, he never had a peaceful moment. All the people around him were rebels. Members of the party who assassinated Uthman radiallahu anhu were now promoting him. He couldn't get rid of them. He didn't want them. He was, if he, he was in a very difficult position from the beginning. So what he did is, he said that, no, no, I'm not going to become Khalifa just like that. So he made mashura. I, all those sahaba were present in Medina, they gathered together, they said, most definitely, you are the cousin of Rasulullah. You are the son-in-law of Rasulullah. You are so-and-so. All the virtues we know of, Rasul, of Ali radiallahu anhu. You, you are the, definitely the most deserving to be Khalifa. So he became Khalifa. And from that moment, till his shahada, he never had a peaceful second. So what happened is, in short now, the Sahaba radiallahu they said, we need justice right away. We need the killers of Uthman radiallahu anhu to be avenged. We need the shahada of Uthman radiallahu anhu to be avenged. Ali radiallahu agreed as well. The approach was different. Ali radiallahu anhu said, let me firmly establish my khilafah and get everything in order 
when I have uh, some type of stability, then I will take these people to task. But right now, I really don't have, I'm not in control. All these other people are running the show. Whereas the others, including Muawiyah radiallahu anhu in particular, and also Aisha Siddiqa, the wife of Rasulullah and Talha and Zubair from the Ashram Mubashara, they wanted immediate justice. And what did they see? They saw that he was delaying. They saw that he was delaying. And they saw that those who are around him are the troublemakers. So they were under the impression that maybe he's just delaying and he's what's going on. They did not really have the correct picture. That Ali from the bottom of his heart wanted to take them to task, but he's waiting for things to calm down. Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha, Talha and Zubair radiallahu they became despondent. They said, Ali radiallahu is not doing anything. All the troublemakers are around him, surrounding him. His whole cabinet is all bad, wrong people. So they left to Basra. They went to Basra. And they gathered the people there together and they said, we need to get justice. Ali radiallahu anhu, he realized that they are there. He sent some, his, his group to go and speak to them. And they, he, they asked, we come on behalf of Ali radiallahu anhu, what are you, have you gathered here for? Or oh, our dear mother, Aisha, what do you want? She said, I want justice on behalf of Uthman Shaheed radiallahu anhu. We had taken the bayah on the hand of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the sixth year, Hudaybiyah, that we shall avenge his death. Now we need that his murderers should be brought to justice. They said, we believe in the same, no problem. Why are you getting so excited? We have the exact same position. We just want to, things to calm down. So they said, bring it on then. Why don't you bring the justice? He said, okay, we will. Take it easy. So Ali radiallahu anhu, Medina was in such a bad state, overrun by the rebels, he decided to change his, his capital to Kufa in Iraq. He moved his capital to Kufa. And when he was traveling there, he traveled with his group. I would not even say this was an army because they had no intention to fight. Talha radiallahu anhu, Zubair radiallahu anhu, and Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anhu, they came with their group and they met outside of Basra. And they had peace talks, meetings, and everyone literally were on the same page. That we all be, have the same goal, and we shall, uh, we will take care and, and f- have uh, a trial and put these murderers uh, on trial and convict them and give them the capital punishment they deserve. So everyone was happy and peaceful and went to bed. Literally, they went to bed and went to sleep. Such a deep sleep. Why are they in deep sleep? Because everyone is happy that there will be peace. There's reconciliation. It seems like there was going to be a war. It has been averted. The Muslims are now united just like they always were. Everyone was in peace and happiness except for the third group, the hidden group, the fitna mongers, Abdullah bin Sabah's party. They said, if there's going to be peace and reconciliation, then we are in danger. So what did they decide to do? They said, we have to stir them up. But it's, how can we stir them up? It's not, there's no, it's not an opportunity just to talk anymore. We have to do more than talking and creating hatred, misunderstanding. We have to do more than that. How can we make them actually start fighting with one another? They said the only way that's possible is that while they're in deep sleep, both camps. Imagine, this is a historical fact that they did not even appoint sentries and guards. Why do you have to have a guard? Because there's no enemy. You are amongst friends, so you don't need to have any guards. If you're on the frontier with, where you are facing the opposition, the enemy, your enemy, enemy territory is near you or you are near the enemy territory, the front line, you might need to have guards. There were no guards. There were no sentries. No one is posted to keep watch even. Everyone is sleeping, deep sleep. So they said, let us simultaneously 
over a thousand of these fitna mongers, they simultaneously attacked both sleeping parties before the break of dawn, in the night, before they got up for the hajjat. So these uh, people who were sleeping, Tabi'in and Sahaba, they were sleeping and sleeping, then literally they were attacked. They, everyone, they were literally being killed and wounded. They got up to defend themselves. What are you supposed to do if you're sleeping? Because this is hard for people to digest. That the Sahaba started fighting, killing each other. This fitna group attacked both of the sleeping parties. So when a person is sleeping, and then someone starts putting a sword to his neck, and tries to slaughter him in his sleep, if he's not going to get up and defend himself, what else? is he going to do? Obviously that's what he's going to do. That's how they both got up. Every party thought the other group played a trick on us. They deceived us. So they started defending themselves, started attacking each other. And this battle continued to rage. And when the daylight, daylight came, this is known in the history as the Battle of Jamal. The two main battles. The Battle of Jamal and the Battle of Sifin. This is the first one, Battle of Jamal. Why, Jamal of course everyone knows or should know perhaps is, means camel in Arabic. Jamal is a camel. Why is it known as the battle of the camel? Because Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha herself participated on a camel in this battle. Ummul Mu'mineen, our beloved mother Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha, the daughter of Abu Bakr Siddiq, the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the one that one third of knowledge is transmitted through her, the one that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa loved more than anyone else of this world. And it was... Ali radiallahu anhu's heart was breaking. What is going on? Why are my people fighting? He kept on telling people, stop, stop, stop. No one is listening. Stop. His whole khilafah, four and a half years, this is what's going on. No one ever listened to him. Those who were closest to him around him were all fitna mongers. They're not listening. He's telling them, stop. No one is stopping. They're continuing to fight. Then he said, what should I do? What should I do? He saw that Aisha Siddiq radiallahu anhu, where she is, that became a focal point of that battle. Thousands and thousands were dying on both sides, Muslims. Every casualty is a Muslim on both sides. This is the first pitched battle of Muslims against Muslims. So they were defending her. The group around her were defending. That's where everyone who was there was getting killed. So he thought that let us um, stop the slaughter. So he went and he ordered some of his companions to go and cut the legs. When the camel came down, they took her down with honor. He said, Oh, we need come on the side. And even during the battle, there are examples. When someone would recognize one another, and remember, then they would make tawbah. Immediately they would realize. They'd come to their senses. It was just a gut reaction. Reflex reaction of defending oneself. Which started the battle. But during the battle, if they came across any companion that they recognized and remembered from the past, they would immediately, in the middle and the heat of the battle, stop and say, what's going on? What are we doing? And withdraw. In fact, even Zubair and Talha, Ali Radana met both of them individually in the battle. And said, Ya Zubair, do you remember the day when we were together and Rasulullah asked you, O oh Zubair, do you love Ali? And, I, and you replied, why should I not love my cousin and my brother in faith? And he said, inna lillahi, I remember that. And he withdrew from the battle. Talha withdrew from the battle. One of the fitna mongers went and found him, who had, he had left the battle and he was performing salah, he was in sajda. He cut off his head and brought it. He thought he was going to get an award, a medal from Ali. I brought the head of your enemy. And I brought his sword as evidence that... A, Ali Radhanu cursed him and he said, I have seen that sword defending the body of Rasulullah in Uhad. You're bringing that to me and saying that you've done something good? Go away from me. May you burn in hell. So these are the, this is the tragic battle of Jamal. Afterwards, the second battle that took place was the battle of, of Sifin. The time is, is gone. right? So we shall definitely need to continue this discussion maybe later. 
that the battle of Sifin took place. That summary of that battle, in short, is that Muawiyah uh, he was a governor in Damascus. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam had told him that to take bay on his hands. Muawiyah said, "I am not ready to take bay until you bring me those who have murdered my cousin." This became the argumentation point. In this matter, we believe that Muawiyah he made an ishtihadi mistake. He should have understood the position of Ali Rutulanu. He should have accepted his Khilafah and he should have taken Bay'ah. But he had his position. He, that was his ishtihad. And this led to a battle of Sifin. And the end of that battle of Sifin, uh, Ali radiallahu anhu, he, they ended up with a truce and they said that we will appoint a representative on behalf of Ali and a representative on behalf of Muawiyah and they will decide matters between them. Mughira bin Shu'bah. Abu Musa Ashari and Amr bin As. These were the two representatives on behalf of Ali and on behalf of, uh, of Muawiyah. So another group comes out now. They are known as the Khawarij. The Khawarij are those Kharaju min Jaysh Ali. They came out from the army of Ali. They turned against him. These were the worst people, were total anarchists. They did not believe in any form of government. They took an eye of the Quran, inil hukmu illa lillah. All authority rests with Allah. They said they should be, Muawiyah is wrong, Ali is wrong, any ruler is wrong. Who is ruler? Allah. They were so literal in their approach, they said that authority belongs to Allah, no human being should be the ruler. And they turned against Ali radiallahu These were Bedouins of the hardest nature, who did not know any compromise, they did not have any contact with any civilization, and they were very, very rough in their approach. They had the belief that anyone who committed any sin, minor sin or major sin, is out of the fold of Islam. Not only out of the fold of Islam, it becomes permissible to attack and kill. So they started attacking, killing, and plundering people. This is a group known as the Khawarij. So Ali radiallahu anhu had to face the battle of Jamal. He had to face, in battle of Sifin, he had to face Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. Then from his own group, this Khawarij came out. He had to face, them. there was another third battle at Nihawant, in which these Khawarij were killed. Ali radiallahu anhu sent his cousin, the great Mufassir of the Quran, Abdullah bin Abbas, go and reason with these people. He reasoned with them and he came back and he said, They're recording the ayah of the Quran, statement of truth, but they have evil intention. They say, Kill all of these rulers. We don't want any ruler. <laughs> and they were, this is the fitna of takfir. Those who call everyone kafir, these are the khawarij. From the beginning, they started declaring everyone kafir. In fact, they sat down together and they made a plan. They said, how can we gain peace in this world? We should kill Ali, we should kill Muawiyah, kill Amr bin As, the governor of Egypt. These are the big leaders, kill all of the leaders, then we'll have peace. So they had picked a date, they hatched a plan, they sent out their murderers. The, at Fajr time, we will attack all three, keeping the sunnah of the assassination of Umar in mind. The fail, they failed with respect to Amr bin As, they missed Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, he came, but Ali radiallahu anhu, the one who killed him, Abdurrahman ibn Muljim, Another part of his tragedy was that he had actually got married to one very beautiful woman that he loved. And her father and her brother were khawarij. And they had been killed by the forces of Ali in the battle of Nihawan. And she said, you love me so much. Many people have proposed to me due to my beauty, etc., etc. But I will marry you if you give me the mahar. And the mahar is what? The, the assassination of Ali. So this is not the first time. Assassination of Yahya alayhi salam. The woman had said, Yahya, Nabi of Allah. Yahya, Ibn Zakariya. The woman had said, I want the head of Yahya as my mahar. Even the Naqud Allah. 
the camel of Allah, Salih centuries, centuries ago, <laughs> the one who attacked the camel of Salih was also for a, because of the love of a, a woman. So he ended up assassinating Ali radiallahu anhu. Ali radiallahu anhu was assassinated. After that, Hassan radiallahu anhu was a khalifa for six months. Then he made sulah, compromised with Muawiyah radiallahu anhu. He said, you can be the Amir al-Mu'mineen. Rasulullah sallallahu had said that Hassan, my grandson Hassan, he will be the means of reconciling two portions, two great parts of the ummah. And he reconciled the ummah. Then Muawiyah radiallahu anhu remained the Amir al-Mu'mineen for two for another 20 years. Then his son Yazid, then, Abdul Mal- then Marwan, then Abdullah bin Zubair, radiallahu anhu. And then, the, the, of course, in the middle we have the tragedy of Karbala, Hussein radiallahu anhu. All of these things happen. In short, what are few take-home points for us is that these conspiracies have been happening from the past. They are not something new. The victory that the Muslims had during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr and Umar in the first six years of Uthman was because they were united. As long as they were following the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and holding fast to the Quran and Sunnah, they were, they were unbeatable. Absolutely impossible to defeat. No matter militarily wise, means, from the physical means, they may have been so less than their opponents, it was victory upon victory. And wherever the defeat happened, and the tide turned against Muslims, it was when the Muslims began fighting with one another. At every single point, from the beginning till end, there is not a single upper battle in which the non-Muslims ever defeated the Muslims without having Muslims on their own side. There was not a single battle where the non-Muslims defeated the Muslims without having some Muslims on their own side. So this is the tragedy that keeps on repeating. If Muhammad ibn Qasim... Wherever the Islamic empire stopped, why did it stop where it stopped? It is because of internal struggles. We know Muhammad ibn Qasim Saqafi was Sasar Rijali, Sabata Asharata Hijjatan. 17 years of age, and he conquered all the way in the east, all the way to Multan. In Multan, in crossing through Baluchistan, Sindh, all the way in Punjab of today, in Multan, he took the deen of Islam. But why did he stop? It's because he was called back and put under house arrest. That with whose permission did you go and conquer these territories? Hisham bin Abdul Malik. He was, he was not given an award. He was rather put in jail. Because this young man is becoming too powerful. Likewise in the West. If Tariq bin Ziyad with a few people. Uqba bin Nafir, he took them all the way to Asafi. The town says, oh my grief. I had the opportunity to visit Asafi. In western tip of Morocco. He went there and he took his horse into the waves. And he said, Ya Asafi, oh my great sadness that there's land has finished to spread the deen of Islam. Asafi. Then from there they went north. He took a few people. He crossed over on the mountain that bears his name. Jibbalter in English is Jabal al-Tariq in Arabic. The mountain of Tariq. Few people with a 19-year-old young man. And he addressed his comrades. He said, look down, what do you see? You see the flame? They looked down in the harbor. They saw the burning flames. He said, all your ships are burnt. He's the one who ordered them to be burnt himself. He said, there's no way back. Who wants to see their wives? Who wants to see your children? How are you going to see them? The only, you're never going to be, there's no way to go back but to go forward. So this was his genius mind to create that level of himma within them. He encouraged them. He, and they conquered Spain. What was his prize? That he was put in jail. And he was handcuffed. He was not given any award. His entire life, the young man, all the way to old age, was under house arrest. 
Why? Because of jealousy that, oh, he's becoming too powerful. Who gave you permission to conquer Spain? Did I give you that order? Why did you do that? So all the time the same thing. We see Bayezid Yildirim, a few centuries later, Osmani, Turkish king. He was so powerful, so powerful, that at one occasion, 13 different European princes and Christians, they gathered all their armies together to squash the Muslims. It was a pitched battle. What happened? He defeated all of them. Then the 13 princes, they were captured and brought in front of him. 13 princes of 13 different countries of Europe of that time, smaller countries. And they were begging for mercy. He said, why, why should I have mercy on you? I can kill you. You are my, you are, no, I captured slaves. They said, please, we, we hope you have mercy. His name was Yildirim in Turkish means lightning because he, had, he was strike like lightning, unbeatable Muslim general. Bayezid Yildirim. So they said, please have mercy on us. Please have mercy on us. He said, okay, I'm going to free you. I'm going to grant you full mercy. Full forgiveness. Go back home safe. I'll give you escort. But one condition. One condition. Then they said, any condition, any number of conditions, you're going to send us back home. The one condition is that I want you now to start preparing. Bring all your armies together. Prepare. One whole year I give you opportunity to prepare and strengthen your armies and your resources and gather together to, after one year, come and fight against me. Because I'm looking forward to the enjoyment of defeating you again. This is my condition. Go. So this was the power. This Muslim general, what happens? He is dragged in the streets with, in a cage and ridiculed. By whom? By Timur Lang, Muslim king. Timur Lang attacks him from the east, destroys him, and drags him in the streets. Later on, the Ottomans, they are spreading Islam. They're going west. They're going from Eastern Europe, moving west-west. They would have reached the English Channel and crossed into UK. The whole Europe would have been Muslim. And America would have been a land of Islam. The Europeans are the ones who came here. Australia would have been Muslims. Europeans came to Australia. They came all the way up to Vienna, Austria. Why did they turn back? Not because they were defeated by the Austrians or they were overcome. They were such an amazing government, the Khilafah Osmania. We should study that. The ones who developed the canon. The walls that were defending the cities became obsolete with the cannon developed by the Osmania, Ottoman Turks. They were blasting through all the cities of Europe. But why they had to turn back? Because the Safavids of Iran were attacking them from the east. The Iranians, they had to go take care of the eastern provinces. Muslims against Muslims. Every single time we see. If the fall of the Abbasi Khilafah, why did the, the, the final Abbasi Khalifa lose his Khilafah? It is because the Shia wazir was there, the one who invited the Mongol to come and attack him. When Tipu Sultan was there fighting against the British, it was the Shia wazir who was with him, who invited the British and said that this is the time, this is the moment when you must strike the fort when Tipu Sultan is now distributing the salary to the soldiers and they are away from their weapons. Give them the exact time to strike. So all of these inside jobs, always inside jobs. This is the continual history we see. That there are insiders, Muslims who are this is a whole tarikh dastan of uh, Iman Faroshunki, like to those who sold their faith for dunya. So this is something that has happened in the past, it's continuing to happen. What do we do? Is that number one? Though we do not have a pertaining this first civil war, the Sahaba, we do not hold any grudge in our hearts against them. Whoever was fighting, they fought, believing what they were fighting for was just. They were not fighting for dunya, they were fighting for what they believed to be the correct approach. So we do not defile our tongues by fighting against them. Whoever fought, fought. Believing that they were, what they were fighting for was right. And there are those who abstained, 
Why did they abstain? Not because they were cowards. But they abstained because they were not sure. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, the Fatih of Iran, the conqueror of Iran, one of the Muslims of Shura, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas, from the Ashram of Ashura, he abstained. He retreated. He retreated all the way in his estate, and in his farm in the middle of nowhere. Every party wanted him on their side because he was a conqueror of Iran and he was a great general and from the early muhajireen and he would add great value to your side if your name, you could put his name on your side, you could print that he's on our side. His, his son came to call him to fight. When he saw him from a distance, he said, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَرِّ I see the protection of Allah from the evil of this rider. His son came and said, Oh my dear father, you are such a great general of all these battles. Why are you sitting on sidelines? Why don't you participate? And uh, what did Asad bin Abi Waqas say? You're calling me to fight and, you're, uh, and for me to say that I'm not going to fight. I'm sitting down. You're putting me in a position as if I'm a coward. He said, I'm ready to fight now. But a'tini sayfan. A'tini sayfan. Give me a sword. Lahu aynani wa lisan. It should have two eyes and a tongue. It should look out and, t- and tell me, وَيَقُولُ لِي هَذَا كَافِرٌ وَهَذَا مُسْلِمٌ you should tell me, هَذَا مُنَافِقٌ وَهَذَا مُسْلِمٌ You should speak out and tell me, this is a munafiq, this is a Muslim. Then I will use my sword against the munafiq and I will not use it against the Muslim. Give me that sword and I'm ready to go. So he said, I'm confused. Abdullah ibn Umar, he also abstained. Those who abstained, they were in doubt. Those who fought, they believed what they were fighting for was truth. That was in the past. What is happening today, we cannot comment on. We do not know, not know who, what are the conspiracies, who is behind what. Where is the fitness coming from? But they are true fitness that are taking place all over the world. And those who are killing each other, this is the bloodshed that is happening. What, what should we do is that number one, at our own level, within our own families, within our own homes, we have to try to create unity at that level. We cannot become so depressed and, and, uh, and start worrying about everything, the entire ummah. No, Rasulullah said, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ Each one of you is responsible. وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولًا عَنْ رَعِيَتِ Everyone will be asked about his responsibility. So you are responsible for your family. Create unity in your family. By holding on to the Quran and Sunnah. Create unity within your community. Create unity within our masajid. Create unity at whatever level we can. And then we make sincere dua for the ummah. We should, not, we should abstain from two extremes. One extreme is that we become completely depressed. We lose our faith. And one is we become completely desynthesized to the violence and have no concern whatsoever. We cannot fall into the... We have to have the concern for the ummah. We have to cry for the ummah, but not to the point that we become depressed. We cannot become oversensitive. We should not become so naive that you know, we, ho- we think that you know, we can create world peace and bring an end to world hunger by ourselves without the qadr and taqdeer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nor should we become so depressed. Rather, we should be realistic. That as long as this nafs is there, this ego is there, then people will be with their ulterior motives fighting one another. And we are responsible for what we can do at our own personal level. Let us make this commitment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we will try our best to ensure that we protect our tongue from defiling the status of the Sahaba عنهم, and that we will inshaAllah make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us in our country and all the Muslim countries from this ongoing conflict that's taking place. And all of this slaughtering of, by Sunnis, of Shias, of Shias by Sunnis, this is definitely, we have to, whenever we have an opportunity, unequivocally say that these are not the teachings of Islam. That Rasulullah wasallam nor uh, ever gave such instructions of killing these people the way that they are being murdered and slaughtered and butchered.
we should be clear that this is by no means anything that is Islamic, this type of khilafat, establishing khilafat in such a manner, declaring oneself to be a khalifa, and all of these things which are happening. And we seek from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He grants us the wisdom to be able to distinguish between that which is haqq and batil. May the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqa, wa arzukna tiba'a, wa arina al-batila batila, wa arzukna shtinaba. Oh Allah, show us the truth as the truth, and Allah was to follow it. Show us the batil as batil, and Allah was to abstain from it. We cannot end all the battles of the world, all the wars in the world, but we can at least begin by creating unity within whatever smaller units that are under our control. If we complain about all the wars taking place, and yet we are not able to forgive our Muslim brother, we take insult over small matters, our Muslim groups and organizations cannot work together, this is something which is unacceptable. We have to start working in a unified manner for the truth and for justice, and have a spirit of cooperation, this is our responsibility, this is our du- duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to our deen, to ourselves, for our children. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of us to take these lessons to heart and practice. Apologize for the, the length and the delay for the Ishaan Salah. May Allah ta'ala reward all the brothers who are here patient. It was a working day and everyone is tired, but uh, alhamdulillah we were able to cover some important lessons from the history so that we can, inshallah, gain a correct understanding of how to deal with the present. Inshallah, we'll have the-